The Weekly Harvest, an in-depth look at the Brandon Weekings and the WHL. Washman trying to come up with it for Allison. Here's Allison right in front. He scores! Episode 32 of the Weekly Harvest as we continue on into the fall season, uh, normally the time of year where sports is at its absolute finest as we push into baseball and everything kind of gets going, and uh, certainly now uh, that is not the case. So that's why we're going to continue on with our weekly interview series, and uh, we're going to head across the border into Saskatchewan uh, and have Les Lazarick, the voice of the Blades, join us uh, on this week's pod. Uh, Les, uh, what's going on uh, with you out in Saskatoon? It's... uh almost business as usual and i say almost because obviously with the pandemic it's not uh but uh i haven't missed any work i'm still employed gainfully by saskatoon media group uh i've been able to uh take all my holidays with the exception of one more week next week and uh yeah it's uh it's basically been uh, the other thing they've added it's almost back to the future uh 40 years ago when i started at uh, good old q country in, in brandon uh doing news and sports uh, i'm doing some news broadcasts nowadays and uh, that's been the uh, the big change uh, there hasn't been a lot of sports certainly not in the beginning of the pandemic but uh in the last little bit the last month or so of course with things starting to go again in uh, the various pro leagues um, you know there's been a little more of an emphasis on sports but uh, yeah doing news and sports and staying as busy as can possibly be uh, here during pandemic times. So, Les, a lot of Wheat King fans these days, they'll, they'll recognize your voice as being the voice of the Blades, but for those that don't know, you, you just mentioned, you did get your actual, like, your start, I believe, in Q Country now, CKLQ back in the day. Was that your first stop in radio was here in Brandon, or how did you get here? Yeah, you can blame Ron Arnst, who was the news director at CKLQ <laughs> back in the day for hiring me. I have, actually, the audition tape that I did Back in uh, 1980, back in September of 1980, it's on reel-to-reel, so nobody can really listen to it because there is no such thing as a reel-to-reel <laughs> machine anymore. I don't believe anywhere in the world. But I, I wouldn't hire me if I heard that particular uh, air, uh, audition tape. Um, it's uh, it's brutal. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's where I got started was the, the Tuesday after the Thanksgiving Day, long weekend in 1980. You know, I came into being in radio after having been in newspaper, I worked at both Winnipeg newspapers up until uh, that, up until the Tribune folded in August of 1980, and then started at Q Country in October of 1980, and been in radio ever since. Well, last a little side story. That reel-to-reel machine, it might be the same one. There's still one that's sitting in one of the voiceover studios, a oh classic goodness. reel-to-reel. It very well could be the same one. So if we ever want to oh, maybe see if it works, we can maybe get that tape. <laughs> no, uh, you don't want it. <laughs> now, I was going to ask, when the last time you heard it was, because I still have mine kicking around, too, from my college days, but I've never, I don't think I can listen to it. I would just be so cringing, and it would just be oh. so bad. Uh, you know, to, 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 to think back at where you were, to where you are now you've had a long career which over this you know we're going to get into your multiple stops but is that something that you envisioned when you first got into media that this is what you wanted to do long term yeah kind of i mean the original goal was to write for the newspaper and be in the sports department and eventually follow a team like the winnipeg jets who i grew up idolizing when they were in the world hockey association back in the 1970s the idea was to follow a team like that the jets the blue bombers somebody like that and 
you know, go from game to game, be it on the road, be it at home, and follow the day-to-day travails of a team. And, uh, you know, here I am 40 years later. It's not a Winnipeg team. It's a team in Saskatoon. But the basic job is still the same in that respect. You're still responsible for the day-to-day uh, following of the team. And uh, instead of writing about them and, and maybe being a very harsh critic of them, uh, you are pretty much a to a great degree a supporter a cheerleader to a degree of that junior hockey team and hoping that your enthusiasm and your ability to be a fan comes out on air uh, in the day-to-day uh, following of that hockey team now you, you mentioned your time at q country there's probably still a few people in the building uh in brandon that were there when you were there and i'm thinking probably the only one that works a regular shift would be leanne Doty. she was probably there when you were at Q. Leanne, yeah, Leanne Doty came along uh, near the end of my time there. Uh, good old Steve Ante, I understand, still has something to do at Q Country uh, with regards. And, of course, he was uh, the big voice of, uh, of, of Q Country back at the time, although he wasn't the morning show guy. Jim Zack was the first morning show guy that I was involved with. And, uh, of course, Ron Arns, Bill Turner was in news. And uh, Bob, uh, Gord McDonald was the sports director when I first started. So I did news and sports. And... Uh, uh, you'll get you'll kicked out of this, Brandon, because you're from uh, you, you you hang out in Verdon more often than not. Um, I, I I think I had something like three speeding tickets in my Camaro driving up and down the highway trying to cover <laughs> Verdon Town Council. Glenn McKinnon was the mayor back then. I remember that, and uh, I used to have a great old time going in and uh, and checking out what the goings on at Verdon Town Council. But uh, I ended up having to go through a show cause hearing with. Uh, MPIC because I had all those speeding tickets with Mike Camaro on the Trans Canada Highway going back and forth to cover council. <laughs> I actually just finished playing nine holes uh, at the golf course this morning, and uh, Glenn was out there. Of so course, he's he still was. going. Good he's still uh, still playing golf. You say hi to him the next time you see him. Absolutely. I will do. And actually, I just heard a story this morning that somebody that uh, we now work very closely with is the one who took over for you at Q, which is Rick Dillabo, the director of of sales and sponsorship at the Wheat Kings now for a long, long time. But yeah, before that, he was with CKLQ as well. And I just found out that he actually took over your role when you moved on from here to CJOB. So you went to Winnipeg. Now, before we get into that, I know the crow in the last podcast was telling, because we're going to talk about your Q days. What was this BU Bobcat story? Was it volleyball? Was it basketball? There was something that happened it. at BU that he told there me was, you're going to tell the story, and I had to bring that up. There was no such thing as volleyball back then at BU okay. back in the early 80s. Basically, all there was was men's hockey and men's and women's basketball. Those were the three teams. Um, we had a bit of a kerfuffle at Q Country trying to get the rights to broadcast Week King games back then, and... Uh, Prior to the 82-83 season, they rejected our bid again and gave it to the other station, the other guys. And uh, so we decided, okay, well, we're going to do something. So we're going to do Brandon University Sports. And we did a lot of, you know, every weekend we were following some team, be it the University Bobcat uh, hockey team, men's hockey team, or the men's and w- or women's basketball teams. Got to know a lot of the people involved. And eventually, near the end of the season, the basketball team was talking about, okay, men's basketball team was talking about, we're going to take a trip to Jamaica and we're going to play some exhibition games and we're going to have a little bit of a holiday and a little bit of a get together and, you know, have a great old time doing that and spreading, you know, the word of what Brandon University men's basketball is all about. And of course, the legendary Jerry Hemmings is the coach of the uh, Bobcats at the time. Uh, George Berger was the uh, athletic director. 
Um, this was the time where the Brandon University men's basketball team was controversial for their use of import players. Most notably, John Carson was the star of that team. Uh, but they had it all set up. They had you know, all the players were pretty much you know, on board and were going to go down to Jamaica. And I, in the meantime, was nearing the end of my time in Brandon and had some holiday time coming to me. And I had it all worked out. I was going to go on this big, long baseball trip. I was going to see every major league ballpark in the course of a month because I had gathered up all my holidays. And I was going to go on, on this baseball trip. And the day before I'm supposed to go on the baseball trip is the day they're also supposed to take off to Jamaica. And Jerry phones me up. And, of course, you couldn't miss Jerry's voice. As soon as he, and as soon as I answered the phone, he said something. I said, Jerry, what's going on? He goes, Les, I need you to come on the trip with us. We need to get 13 people, and we don't have enough people to come on the trip. <laughs> That's pretty good, Jerry Hemmings. <laughs> <laughs> so he gives me the lowdown of what it's going to cost. I mean, I had the money. I was ready to go. I, there was no two ways about it. I could, I could do it. And I he was desperate. We need you to come along. Otherwise, this doesn't happen. We'd have to cancel, and we're going to lose a whole bunch of money for all of us with uh, cancellation insurance, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. I'll go. So there's 13 of us. So there's Jerry Hemmings. There's Diamond Jim, the honorary trainer. There was an assistant coach. George Berger went. His daughter went. George Berger's daughter went because she was dating Keith Streeter, who was one of the players. So he's on the trip. So that's six. Um, myself is seven, and there were six other players. So there were seven players in total. Thirteen people made the trip to Montego Bay. And they practiced one day outdoors, 35 degrees Celsius heat. And Tom Price was is, is still in Brandon. In fact, I saw Tom the last time I was in Brandon, uh, prior to a Blades Week Kings game, chatted with him. Um... Tommy went up for a rebound, you know, in practice, came down and blew out his knee. So now they're down to six players. And again, the games, and we ended up playing two games. This is the crazy thing is that it was a big <laughs> exhibition trip for two weeks. We only played two games and they were outdoors. So it's 35 degrees in the middle of the day and we've only got six players. Well, if you played six players against, you know, basketball, you're going to absolutely kill yourself. So they decided I better, I better suit up. Okay, so throw a jersey on. I hadn't played hoops since, well, mind you, I was only 23, so it's not like it was that far removed. I hadn't played hoops since high school. So what position do you play? I'm 5'11". I played forward in high school because we had a very small high school team. So I was a forward. Okay, well, you can't play guard? No, I don't play guard. <laughs> I don't handle the ball. I don't shoot it very well. I don't do much of anything well when you get right down to it. But anyway... We play the game. Second game, we thought they line up for the other team lines up for a free throw, and they're telling me, as soon as the ball goes up, take off up the court. We're going to rebound the ball either on a made basket or on a miss, and we're going to fire it down court. You catch it, go in and score. And it worked out perfectly like that. The ball went up. I took off up the court. One of our guys rebounded the ball. I can't remember who. Uh, it might have been uh, Brian Aykroyd or, or somebody like that. Uh, fire the ball up the court. I catch it. I go in, lay it in two points, and I have my two points in international basketball play. So there's my <laughs> big claim to fame in the story. It takes nice. all that time to get to that. 
<laughs> international basketball star. Add that to the oh, resume. Yeah, I don't know about star. International <laughs> basketball star. player. Let's put it this way. I also was responsible for creating an injury on the other team. See, here I am, a five foot eleven forward. We're coming up against guys. I'm trying to guard guys who are six six, six seven on the other side. Well, this one fellow was actually a, a Jamaican national team member, and they, I go out there and I'm up against him, and I'm going, okay, this is not going to be a good idea. The ball goes up. I boxed out like, yeah, I still got to jump. Well, this guy doesn't even have to jump to reach up, grab the ball on me on a rebound situation. So one time the ball went up. He jumps up to rebound the ball, and I just basically leaned over at the waist, and he caught the ball, fell over the top of me, landed awkwardly on his ankle, and broke his ankle right there on the spot. So I knocked the guy out of the out of the game for quite a while, out of, out of playing the sport for about a year, probably with the broken ankle. So it, <laughs> I was I'm a, I'm a cheap shot, dirty player too. It's as simple as that. throwing hip checks and basketball. Oh less. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> my, my my hockey my hockey stuff came out in, in in that situation. I absolutely love that. I, I have to hear that story like once a year, and it gets better every time you tell it. If if when if Tyler. Cr- Grayson, the, the director of uh, media for the Bobcats, hears this. I think there's definitely a, a content piece uh, worthy into looking into this. Uh, <laughs> and the, the mystery of how Les Lazarick became a secret Brandon University international Bobcat basketball star. And would that uh, Eric, would that Eric, Tom Eric Price, Price be like the the like the like the booster, booster juice? juice Tom Price? Booster really? That's ju- that Tom. Booster juice Tom Price. Absolutely. Yeah. Tom Price, Price, Leaf. Yeah. Thumper Thompson, Donnie Thompson, those guys. You know, Grant Coulter. Uh, and and Brian Ackroyd, those were the four Brandon guys on that team. Uh, Coulter played a little more than the other three fellows did, but they all they all had their roles on the team, and they were great guys. I hung with them quite a bit during the course of time, and uh, uh, yeah, and in fact, I still keep in touch with with Tom uh, through Facebook, and like I say, I see him in Brandon. So uh, yeah. and Tyler, a couple of years ago, it was too bad because they had a big reunion. For uh, the team, for the teams back in from the early '80s, and I would love to have come back for that, but and, and seen a bunch of people, including uh, a lot of the folks that played on the women's basketball team, uh, the Diane Hilkos, who was an assistant coach, of course, uh, Bill Moody uh, was the head coach of that team. Uh, a lot of great people that were uh, that were a part of that uh, women's basketball team at BU. <laughs> yeah, I'll throw in another story on this. So. You know, you, you, you travel with the team and you're, you know, you're carrying all this luggage and equipment and all the rest of that. There was one time we went on a women's basketball trip only. Usually the women's and men's teams traveled together and played games at the same time. But on this particular weekend, the men's team didn't play in Winnipeg. Only the women's team did. And we had it in our schedule that I was going to broadcast the women's game. So we took two old Brandon University vans on the road. And I remember... Coming up to the van, and these girls are looking at me. This is early in the season, and they're looking at me, who's this person? Like, what, what's going on here? <laughs> no, I'm the guy that's going to do the games back on radio. Oh, cool. You know, and it's still kind of awkward for them, you know, having to worry about this guy sitting in the, in the van with them. Like, hey, just think of me as one of the girls. So after you uh, left QLess, you went to CJOB. How yes. how many bounces before you ended up in Saskatoon being the voice of the Blades? How long did that take? One other. Uh, ten and a half years at uh, CJOB, uh, and then here in Saskatoon, and I will be 26 years here at CJWW Radio, Saskatoon Media Group, as of September, as of next month. Wow. Uh, I came here in 1994. So I'll be heading into my 27th season as the... Uh, 
play-by-play voice of the Saskatoon Blades whenever that season ends up starting. So aside from Bob Ridley, would that make you the longest-serving guy in the league? Uh, with the same team, yes. Uh, I think Craig West in Tri Cities would have a few more game, a few more years on me than than uh, than I would, uh, and, and less than Rids, obviously. But uh, oh, Westy sure. also worked for Spokane, and he did some games for Vancouver when the Giants first came into the league, and they didn't have the full time type of radio uh, thing going on. But uh, he was he was involved in that before he ended up landing in Tri City. It's, you mentioned- it's going to be a story. I think uh, I was going to say. I think it's going to be a long time before we see somebody come close to Bob Ridley, Bob Ridley's tenure in the WHL. If it'll ever happen again like that, well, it won't happen like that. I, I severely doubt it. And the other thing that won't happen is nobody else will have the number of bus miles behind the wheel yeah. that Bob Ridley did. I mean, that's the craziest thing. About yeah, it. it's one thing for him to have been, you know, fifty years doing the play-by-play of the Tigers since day one and missing only one game. But when you consider that. The large majority of those of that time is spent also on the road driving the team to and from their games. That just boggles the mind uh, at best. Yeah, it's absolutely stunning, and it's really upsetting that he did not get to to call his was it three thousandth was the milestone that they were celebrating for uh, right at the end of the season. I think it was supposed to be the, maybe the last game of the regular season was game number three thousand for him, and uh, you know I know that. Whenever they will get back in, uh, even if he planned on retiring, I'm sure he'll do just enough games to hit the milestone before he rides off his Harley into the sunset uh, into you, retirement. And you, you got that exactly right. Riding off into his Harley. It'll be 4,000 games, too, uh, Brandon. It's 4,000. Yeah, oh it's 4,000. Well, 50, 50 years, you know, at least uh, an average of 70 games a year. That's 3,500 plus all the playoff games. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's coming up on 4,000 for Rids. And uh, it's phenomenal. I, I hope. I've heard in the past, and I hope this comes to pass, that there will be an award in the league named after Bob Ridley, and it would be absolutely fitting if it was the case. It it, it couldn't happen to a more deserving and nicer human being than Bob Ridley. Well, he told Chris and I on our interview with him on the same podcast way back, I think it was episode 10 or 11, uh, he couldn't couldn't believe it. He called play-by-play. When Byron McCrimmon, Kelly and Brad's mm. father, was playing senior hockey uh, in Saskatchewan, he sure. says he remembers a young five-year-old Kelly running around the rink with a with a mini stick and a ball. So <laughs> that tells you how long Bob Ridley's been doing games. And Kelly would deny it vehemently. <laughs> yeah, it was all business. I never do that. <laughs> he never had fun. Not even as a kid. He was making trades at seven years old. <laughs> he was fleecing guys all over the place already. <laughs> and I say that with all the respect in the world, too, because Kelly has done a tremendous job. I get along so well with him. And, I mean, you've you got to respect what he's been able to do with, with the Weak Kings for so many years. Uh, really resuscitating the franchise when it was at death's door back in the mid eighties. And I remember I was just in the midst of seeing that happening when I left Brandon back in 1983, the franchise was in trouble back then. And uh, boy, for it to have come through community ownership for a brief period of time, and then eventually get bought out again, private ownership. And then the Kelly McCrimmon coming along and really bringing it back to life. You give him him, as much kudos for that as you do for Bob Ridley and his career in the, with the Medicine Hat Tigers. So now with you being obviously on that side of the rivalry for, for this long, being in Saskatchewan, although kind of growing up, obviously, like you said, you want to work in Winnipeg, cheering for Manitoba. Uh, 
looking back at the history of the Saskatoon Brandon rivalry, what are some cases that instantly stick out in your mind? Well, I think there's really some some of the trades that were made, uh, and of course the the impact and that they had on the Blades and the Wheat Kings. Uh, you think of the deal that sent Braden Shen here in uh, 2011. Uh, I think 20 other GMs would make the deal that Lauren Mullican made. That team the Blades had that year was stacked and doing very well. And that one last piece with the local guy that was going to put them over the top and get them not just the Western Hockey League championship for the Memorial Cup title, I think, like I say, I think 20 other GMs would make that trade if they were in the same situation. What was given up that went back to uh, the uh, Brandon Weekings was was massive. Obviously, uh, Tim McGauley played many, many years and, and excellently so for the Wheat Kings. Jordan Paperni played for the team and then was a huge part of the team. Jace Howerluck was a part of that team. And, uh, you know, he, he was huge, obviously, for the Wheat Kings over time. Yeah, the fact the Blades lost out in the second round uh, to Kootenai, you know, it was neither here nor there. I, I think that, uh, you know, the Shen trade was a good trade, regardless of how some people may view it here. Certainly a great trade as far as the Wheat Kings were concerned. And then the other one being in the Memorial Cup year of 2013, where Michael Ferlin comes to Saskatoon and draft picks go back the other way, including a first rounder that turned into Stelio Mateos. And of course, he was a long serving and very good member of the Brandon Wheat Kings. So again, that was a huge trade for the Wheat Kings that worked out very well for them. On the Blade side of things, you know, Ferland was, you know, a little on the injured side at times. His back was giving him issues in his 20 year old year, but when he was ready to go, he was a dominant force for the Blades. And again, they didn't have a good playoff run, had no playoff run, in fact. But when they got to the Memorial Cup and hosted, they weren't all that far away from being in the final that year. And he probably had his greatest game as a member of the Blades in a 5-2 Saskatoon win over the Halifax Mooseheads in the 2013 Memorial Cup. The only game that the Mooseheads lost in that Memorial Cup tournament here at Sastel Centre, or what was then known as Credit Union Centre. So, um those are the things that stick out more so than anything else as far as the rivalry goes is some of the dealings back and forth. I remember Darian Zerzinski being traded from the Blades to Brandon while we were on the road. Uh, in fact, uh, I remember Kelly coming along uh, with a couple of players to meet our bus as we rolled up to the Crown Plaza Hotel in Portland uh, in order to meet up with Darian Zerzinski. He gets off the bus, he changes and goes with Kelly and uh, and the two players and uh, away they go. So there was another deal. And then, of course, some of the games back and forth uh, played playoff series, uh, playing games at the old Winnipeg Arena in a playoff year, um, playing games, regular season games at the MTS Center uh, between the two teams. Uh, and just some some phenomenal back and forth types of games, hard fought games that you would expect between the division rivals like Saskatoon and Brandon. Well, if you, you know, one of my big projects when, when this whole quarantine hit, because we didn't know how long it was going to last, I did a, a full-on investigation with help from, from Kelly McCrimmon uh, to develop the full trade tree mm-hmm. from the Braden Shen deal. Now, people, I, you know, there's a lot of details on here that probably shouldn't be public knowledge in regards to which players and all that, but there are some interesting things that I like to, to discuss. So from that Braden Shen pick all the way till now, Brandon has two 04 04 born prospects and two 03 born prospects all signed and a 2021 Bantam draft pick (laughs) still coming from that trade. So, I mean, if you look at it, it just, it it just kept going on and on and on as I filtered through and players that were flipped for other picks. 11 years down the road, it seems 
uh, it's it's nuts uh, what can happen, and you can you know make those trade trees all over the place, and it just again boggles the mind as to what you can come up with as to how teams have been impacted yeah. either favorably or unfavorably, as the case may be. Now, let's touch uh, on the uh, WHL's return to play plan. Uh, Chris, I think he had some internet trouble, so he dropped out. So it's just you and me now, yes. less, for, at least for the yep. foreseeable future, until he gets back on. But uh, now you uh, have, I, I don't want to say you're pessimistic, but you're cautiously optimistic about the return to play. I think it would be the best way to describe what I've seen you talk about uh, with other media or other interviews, whether it be with Rod Peterson or other shows you've been on. Uh, when you look at, at the way Ron Robison in the league has kind of rolled out along with the CHL, first October 2nd, now December 4th, do you realistically think there'll be a Western Hockey League season prior to Christmas? No. That's the short answer. Uh, I want there to be. I wanted it to happen October the 2nd. I mean, I had heard contingencies that, you know, the, the initial one was, okay, we're going to wait two weeks and tack the original two-week scheduling that was there and put it on to the end of the year, finish the regular season in the beginning of April, and then play playoffs into late May, maybe early June. Okay, that was going to be the way it was going to be because the league is bound and determined. They're going to play a 68-game regular season, and I understand that because everybody needs their 34 home games, especially if they're going to be restricted to 50% seating capacity at the absolute maximum that you know a lot of places, a lot of jurisdictions might allow them to have. Um, there was also talk that on October 2nd, start to the season, but the first two months would stay within division. And certainly right. that would be doable for Saskatchewan and Manitoba because those are the two provinces, the two jurisdictions out of the six that comprise the Western Hockey League that have done the best as far as this whole novel coronavirus thing is concerned. Although if you're in Brandon right now and if you have been in Saskatchewan over the last month, you're saying, mm, you know, we're getting all these, you know, cases here right now, and we've had these spikes, and it's not exactly a second wave, but we've had all these spikes. So you, you tend to be a little pessimistic as to the possibilities of playing. The idea that the league has said has gone from October second to December fourth, I think, is the right thing to do. I see where your old league and the league that's around here, the SJHL, has just said that okay, we're going to hold off two weeks. We're going to delay instead of starting September twenty fifth. We're going to start October the 9th. Maybe that yep. might happen. They only have two jurisdictions to worry about, but I'm still not convinced that they're, uh, they're honestly going to be able to get started on October the 9th. For their sake, I hope they can, just like I hope we're able to start December the 4th. But the jurisdictions that concern me the most are BC and not concerned there, mostly because I think Dr. Bonnie Henry, their chief medical health officer, is doing a phenomenal job there and is saying, look, I'm not prepared with the fact that we are so close and have such close ties with the United States with our economy tied into the Pacific Northwest of the state of Washington and Seattle and Vancouver. I don't see us being able to have gatherings of, you know, half capacity in any of the five Western Hockey League cities in, uh, in British Columbia. And I understand that. I think that's prudent. I think that's smart on her part to do that. She's saying nothing until the beginning of 2021. Maybe the Western Hockey League's BC governors can somehow convince her to change her mind for December 4th. Obviously, I'd like to see that, but I don't know if that's going to happen or not. The other two things, of course, are the state of Washington and the state of Oregon. And when you consider especially what's going on seemingly on a night-to-night basis in Portland and Seattle with the protests, not just the virus, 
but the protests, the racial injustice protests, and you know, that's neither here nor there how I feel about that. The fact of the matter is, if you're a parent of a young man who's 16, 17, even 20, are you really all that terribly anxious to send your young guy down to one of those two hot spots for those protests where things are happening right around those rinks? Do you really want to do that? Are you really that anxious to have your son play and maybe make his way into the National Hockey League at the expense of his potential health and just physical his well-being? Probably yeah, yeah. not. So uh, I, I don't know if we're going to be able to realistically start December 4th. I really want it to happen. I need to get back to my sense of normalcy. But my selfishness doesn't matter. It doesn't cut it in this situation. It is all about what is best for the kids involved, for the staff, the coaches, you and I, Brandon, everybody involved with the Western Hockey League. It has to be done in such a way that everybody starts at the same time, everybody's able to do the same things, and everybody's health, health and welfare is at its optimum best, as close to normal as possible. Yeah, I think the, the, the strange part is, and you and I were talking a little bit less uh, before we, we clicked record about, you know, when it does come back, are we going to be having the same access to the players? For example, you and myself and guys like Perry uh, with the Brandon Sun and even Chris doing the post-game interviews, is, are those types of things going to be the same? Are we going to be able to call the games from the booth? Are we going to be allowed on the bus? Are we essential staff? Are we going to have to drive ourselves in the radio station pickup truck? Uh, there's so many contingencies that not only the Western Hockey League, but I think the teams and their relationship with their broadcasters and media partners are going to have to sort out. I mean, you and I have it pretty, pretty lucky less that, you know, in the league that we're in and the city that we're in, you know, we can go down and knock on the coach's door at any point or, you know, grab a player when he's walking into practice yeah. without really scheduling anything. So does that change a whole lot? And if it does, that could really affect how guys like us do our job too. It probably does. Um, Whatever they decide to do, Brandon, I, I will do. Let yeah, me just sure. say that right off the top. Whatever the rules end up being, I am prepared to do. If it means get jumping into the station vehicle and driving alongside the bus or behind the bus or whatever the case may be in order to get to the next place, I will do it. I, I'm fine with that. I will take you know, hand sanitizer. I will take Lysol wipes. I will wipe down my work areas. But I don't know if I how, how terribly excited I am about the idea of doing calling a game remotely from my right. living room or from my office desk here over off of a laptop computer or off of this TV screen as I plug in my laptop into that and get a, a get a, a video feed like that. Uh, it, it just isn't the same. All you have to do is watch the NHL games. I was mentioning to you before we got started. You know, we're watching um, the NBC feed and uh, the guys are having their troubles trying to trying to keep up. Uh, with the feed, because what happens if it buffers? Are you able to be on real time? You know, is is there issues like that? And, you know, let's face it, the Western Hockey League website uh, and uh, feeds have been okay, but they've had their issues at times, depending on where they're coming out of. And so do you have this, the ability to do an effective quality job remotely? I, to me, I think even in Edmonton, where I'm nine miles away from the ice <laughs> surface, I still want to be in Rogers place calling a Blades Oil Kings game at the uh, if I ultimately can, just because I think it's, it's a better deal to be able to be there on site. And no matter what my access is to those players and coaches, I mean, I'll wear masks. 
I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll have a selfie stick. I'll bring a hockey stick and attach my phone to it and hit record and go back and forth like that in order to maintain some sort of physical distancing. I'll do it, it, it whatever needs to be done. But allow me to do the job to the best of, of my ability. And I, I'm, I'm sure I can stay within the rules and stay safe and keep others safe who are around me as well. I think that oh, go ahead, Chris. No, I was going to say, and I mean, it would be incredibly tough. I know to call a hockey game based on the video screen because so much of what you're doing is you're looking and seeing who's coming on the ice, who's making the change, who's following the play. When you're watching just a camera, you you, you can't tell anything what's going on outside of that frame of view. Or even what if something happens that's not in the arena but in your house? Like what happened to me just right now? We had a power bump where I lost power for like yeah. fifteen twenty seconds. Yeah. Out of nowhere, there's no storm. It's a great day outside. For some reason, it just happened, and now luckily I'm back on the connection. But can you imagine if you're calling a game and something like that happens? Like you know, for I can understand what you're saying. Like whatever you have to do, you're willing to do because the alternative, there's just way too many question marks with that. As a broadcaster, yeah, I'm sure. I, I I don't see my dog being all that terribly quiet if the doorbell <laughs> happens to ring at home and she starts barking. That's in the background, even if I'm in my office or or wherever I might be able to get to that's as quiet as possible in my home. I'd have to do it from probably here in this building in downtown Saskatoon where I work out of on a day-to-day basis. People forgive but, uh, dogs, though, all the time. So that would oh, be yeah, okay. they do. People but, love dogs. I, yeah, well, absolutely. But still, More than it would kids. certainly be interesting. <laughs> it would be interesting to have <laughs> yeah, a dog. A few times less. Uh, cr- Sorry? Chris has had a couple of his uh, Chris's couple of young boys. Uh, the first early stages of these Zoom podcasts. I know he's got a real young son named Briar, and he just he'd peek over Chris's shoulder in the background where Chris couldn't quite see him because he he'd was be just like curious. right here. He would just pop up his head right here, up. and I'd be like, "Go, go, get, get, get out of here!" <laughs> yeah. That's too cute. Yeah. I love it. So have you been following the NHL playoffs less? I know you're a big sports guy. I mean, you're probably watching the Blue Jays a little bit, uh, but yep. with four or five games a day on TV, uh, what, what's it like? Are you into it? Are you following along like you would be if it was normal? No, I haven't. Uh, I don't have. I, we took away the sports channels off of our cable package back when the pandemic started, and I haven't re-upped them. A lot so of people did that. The only, yeah. The only games I've watched so far are the ones that are on CBC and or on NBC. And so I've watched those and I've actually recorded them and then watched them back at my leisure. I'm, you know, I, I don't care if I know what the score was or a couple of details. I still have ways of watching games on a, on a video situation that I'm able to pick up on things and follow a little bit and, and look for things. So, uh, I haven't watched as much as I would like, but I've, I've seen enough to know what's going on. I'm happy to see that the hub city bubble type of idea is working really well for the National Hockey League, working pretty darn well for the NBA. Uh, I think it's an absolute dumpster fire what's going on with Major League Baseball. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, I, and, I, and I feel for them, uh, but I think they're learning pretty quickly. In fact, I've already seen where they're talking about the need that once they start the playoffs after a 60-game regular season for everybody, if they can ever finish it, that they're thinking about going to a, a three-city bubble type of situation for their playoffs, and, and good for them, it, you know, Maybe the NFL has to consider something along that line as well, although that would be really difficult to do considering the numbers that are involved uh, and, and, the, and the hype and everything else that's involved with that. That's, that's bigger than any other sport com- uh, combined, I would say. But I think it may be something that they have to consider. Certainly the CFL is considering it, although I think they're running out of time. Um, but I really am excited about what's going on in the NHL. I hope that everybody can adhere to the rules, stay away from the positive tests, 
uh, be it players, coaches, staff, whatever the case may be, so that we can get this done and uh, and have something that distracts us from the everyday stuff that we're going through right now because it is difficult to maintain your focus when you're having to read and hear and see what's going on 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 your newscast, your local newscast, or just what's going on on social media, the the stuff that's going on and the disasters that are befalling so many people because of the pandemic that we're going through. And they have done a great job in the bubble. I mean, the only real issue with the bubble so far has been as of, well, and again, for people who aren't familiar with our podcast format, so we're recording this on Wednesday morning, although you're going to be hearing it next week. So this is the day after the 5 OT game took place. Mm-hmm. That was last night for us here live. So that 5 OT game all of a sudden pushes back a scheduled game to be the morning. Could you imagine being an NHL player starting your playoffs, such an important game, you're waiting in the room, waiting, 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 eventually just being told, sorry, just can't go. It would be <laughs> like like even a minor hockey that doesn't happen because you'd never have the OTs. Like you had tournaments that I know like like you know, we like that's happened with us, like with my again with my kids in hockey, where tournaments go later, but you always still play it on the on the day itself. I can only imagine what it would be like for a player to get that emotional, to get fired up and then have to go back to bed and wake up and try to recapture that in the morning all over again. The only sport where you'd have that similarity would be baseball, where you have rainouts, where you can be at the ballpark and all of a sudden, bam, you're hit with a rainstorm and you're washed out and you have to come back the next day and try again. Uh, if I may be allowed another story from my youth, I in, love one sport, in, in, in the one sport that I was actually half decent at, baseball, uh, I played for the Elmwood Giants in the Manitoba Junior Baseball League and we won the uh, provincial championship in 1978. And the Canadians were in Vancouver at Wally, B.C. Beautiful stadium, beautiful facility. Um, it was the Labor Day long weekend with the Canadians. And there was no, there was an airline strike. So we had to take a bus from Winnipeg all the way to Vancouver in order to play in this championship. It rained all weekend, Friday through Monday. We played two games and we were on 24-hour alert. In fact, we got woken up at 2 in the morning one day. In order to go and told you have an hour, first pitch is at 3 a.m. So it's get up. Get, basically, you slept with Holy. your uniform on, get your gear, head to the bus, get over to the ballpark, and get ready to play. And, of course, we got started, played two innings, and then the rain came again, and that was the end of that. And it was like, holy smoke, go back home, fall asleep, wait for the next phone call to say, get your tushies over to uh, the stadium and get ready to play again. Like. I can't imagine what it would be like for both Carolina and Boston to have sat there and waited and then be told, okay, guys, you know, this game's going another overtime period again. Let's try tomorrow, you know, tomorrow morning. Your your whole game day routine that you're so carefully utilizing and, and going through is shocked to you know what right now because of this. But, hey, their pros are expected to be able to bounce back, especially in this extraordinary environment. So I'm sure the Bruins and the Hurricanes will have a phenomenal game as a result of regardless of what happened to them the night before. When I texted one of my buddies that lives in Toronto, I said, what's the temperature right now? And this was at about the second overtime game. He yeah. said, well, it's about 28 with the humidity is about 39. And all <laughs> I could think of was how bad the ice was going to be yeah. <laughs> by the yeah. time that game ended and if they were going to be able to get the ice ready for another game. I know it's a nice facility, but at some point you're, you're really pushing your limits uh, with the weather and, uh, Les, I know we, we've taken uh, a bit of time, but uh, we like to wrap up 
and 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 run the, a few rapid fire type questions. Sure. Now, I know you're a storyteller, so rapid fire might be a little tough for a guy like yep. you, but yeah. uh, we like to get so, some answers, some inside look into just a, what how Les Lazarus' brain works. So oh, if if we had to ask you the best and the worst locations to call a game from in the Western Hockey League. Is that an easy, easy one? Best and worst locations? Yes, very easy. Best one is Prince Albert, the Arthauser Center, because of your location. As you know, Brandon, uh, you're not that high up. You're basically right over top of the ice surface. Everything is right there in front of you. The worst is easy as well. Unfortunately, I have to say Rogers Place in Edmonton. Gorgeous yeah. building, phenomenal uh, facility for hockey, but where they've got the press uh, located and the visiting team broadcasters located, um, well, I mean, I know some guys that actually call the game off of the scoreboard, uh, off the video screen, or off of the little monitors that are off to the right of us, or the one right beside you. You actually turn around and sit there and look at it and call the game there while it's happening in front of you. Uh, Edmonton's the worst play by far, unfortunately. Yeah, it's too far. It's far <laughs> too far away. Uh, your favorite uh, favorite blade that 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 you've called. Or most oh. exciting, maybe I should say. The most oh. exciting blade. Wow. Uh, and there's a lot of them. Um, Marty Erat would come to mind. He was probably the first import player to come down the line that uh, that really had something that provided that extra little bit of jam to the team's offense. Uh, they had never really had an import like that and have had a few since. But Marty Erat would probably be that one. Uh Braden Shen was certainly a guy that you know brought a lot to the team when he was acquired that year. Um, I, I liken Kirby Doc uh, to more contemporary was was somebody that uh, you know was was a big time player for the team, and it's unfortunate that he couldn't stay. But to his credit, he's worked hard, and here he is. He's a regular as an 18 year old playing for the Chicago Blackhawks in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, it's kind of it's kind of hard to fault a kid for being just too good, eh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> he's and then too good. Uh, yeah, just he's just too good. Stephen Elliott on defense was a phenomenal talent uh, offensively from the back end to the blades. And uh, you take a look at a goaltender like Braden Holtby, who's now playing in the National Hockey League as well. Uh, you could just see from the very first game he played as a 16-year-old call-up that he was going to be pretty special, and he has proven to be. So I'll flip that then. Favorite Wheat King of all time? Ooh, wow. Can I go back to when I was when I was living in Brandon? Yeah. Wow. How about Carl Mokasek? <laughs> There's let's, a name nobody's heard let's, in a long time. Yeah. Let, okay. Let's go back to the early 80s. He was probably as good a kid as I had met back then. Like He always had time. And, I, and to me, a lot of the kids that I really enjoy are the ones that actually take the time to engage you in conversation. And Carl Mokasek, uh, even though he wasn't that much younger than I was, uh, was just a good kid that when you saw him, when he saw you, he was, you know, hey, how, Les, how's it going? What's going on with you? You know, back and forth. You'd have a five-minute conversation. You just don't see that very often, especially nowadays, but even more so back then. Uh, you know, the, the kids were, were pretty reserved for the most part, especially when they were younger. But Mokasak was a veteran, and uh, he wasn't afraid to be involved in conversation with a lowly media type guy. I always uh, say, and I don't have any kids, but I always say, for me to determine whether or not I, I like a guy or not is if I imagine having a daughter, if she brought him home uh, mm. for a date night. If I'm yeah. okay with it, I like him. 
If I'm yeah. not okay with it, maybe I don't like him as much. <laughs> yeah, and that's why a guy like Chase Waters with the blades right now would be, you know, and I'm in the same boat as you. And I mean, I'm a little bit older than you, Brandon, and I don't, we didn't have kids, unfortunately. But if I had a daughter, I, and I mean, I, I know young ladies in our, our lives that if they said, you know, I'm bringing home Chase Waters, you know, I'd be fine with that. In fact, I'd be happy that that would be the case. Because yeah, you'd be pulling up a chair and that. cracking him a beer. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Favorite the, road meal? Oh, sorry. Favorite no, road yeah, meal. Uh, anywhere I can get steak and potatoes, I'm happy with it. Uh, that's still, that's my favorite. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of great places that have done that. We used to be able to get that at the Coliseum uh, place just outside of Rexall Place in Edmonton was very good. Uh, Louis D's and Swift Current serves a very nice steak meal that we have. Um, jeepers! Do you guys stay at the Black Knight Inn in Red Deer when you guys go to Red Deer? We we did for a couple of years. We didn't this past season, um, and we hadn't for many years prior to that. But we did go there for a couple of years because the, the steak sandwich there, yeah, the steak sandwich yeah. at Black Knight Inn is a staple uh, of yeah. of the Wheat Kings for a long time now. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, that that uh, that is a good place. Uh, I remember one time we went to an Outback Steakhouse in Everett, and that was phenomenal. You know, and you think to yourself, well, it's a chain restaurant, big deal. But no, this that meal was actually really good at the Outback Steakhouse in Everett one year. Who is the blade killer in terms of Wee Kings that, that you just, every time that he would come to town, you'd be like, ah, I'm going to have to say that this guy scored a goal tonight. Is there one Wee King that sticks out that just would always seem to score against you guys? Scott Glennie. Sweet. He yeah. scored a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and actually, I think if you went back in time, your current GM, Darren Ritchie, would have been the, the same type of a player back in the mid mid nineties. Uh, he always seemed to score goals against the Blades back in his day. Ritchie and Glennie, two good names. I like it. Now I know that you uh, have had a lot of uh, great mentors in the radio business and a lot of great mm-hmm. coworkers. Uh, you mentioned Ron Arns too. I had a great opportunity to work with when I spent my year with the Winnipeg Gold Eyes. Of course, he's the longtime public address announcer there. His son Kevin uh, was the director of ticket sales, and he used to work at Q Spin and Records as well um, back in the day. Uh, Scott Taylor, who I worked with the Gold Eyes, you worked with him yeah. as well, and yeah. a number of great names. So, who would you say is your biggest radio influence or, or media influence, paper, TV included? Uh, the late Ken Nicholson was the voice of the Jets back in the 70s in the WHA. Probably would be that. Bob Irving would be my mentor because I worked with him for 10 and a half years at CJOB in Winnipeg. Um, you know, I go back and people like Don Whitman uh, worked at CBC in Winnipeg. And Peter Young, who I did a year calling the, the Gold Eyes when they first came back into the Northern League in 1994 that summer. It was Oh, a very fun year, and even though Peter keeps bugging me that I never pay off my golf debts, I was looking the other day at some old scorecards. Peter, I think you still owe me money, to tell the <laughs> truth, based on what I see, because you keep on pressing in the games and weren't winning very terribly often, as I recall. Uh, but no, those those are guys that, and, and Scott Taylor was the was the best man at my wedding. Uh, he and I, we had we had some great times. So the, the people that were involved in my in my growing up period in Winnipeg, especially the 10 and a half years in Winnipeg, uh, CJOB doing Jets and Blue Bomber pregame shows and postgame shows from Chi Chi's restaurant next door to the facilities. Uh, those are the people that uh, really come to mind. The late Bob Pickin, who was uh, one of the great voices of CBC radio sports, uh, another guy that uh, just, you know, I, I think of him and, uh, fondly with regards to 
some of the discussions we had. Stuart McPherson, here's a guy that um, you go back. He was on CJY TV along with Cactus Jack Wells. Both of them have long gone. But these were fellows that worked in the 60s and 70s. They were in sports. Stuart McPherson was um, a war correspondent in World War II for the BBC and ended up moving overseas to Canada and worked, ended up in Winnipeg and uh, just a, a phenomenal man, just a, a wealth of information. And Cactus Jack, nobody enjoyed being a sports broadcaster more than Cactus Jack. He's a throwback to the way it used to be and times the way I wish it were, but it'll never be again because it's just not allowed that way. Political correctness would get in the way of a lot of that. But <laughs> yeah. Cactus Jack was so politically incorrect, but he was hilarious. He was a wonderful man and uh, and didn't have a bad word to say about anybody. And just uh, you, you learned a lot from him just in the way he approached the everyday job. My last one for you, Les, is what is the weirdest sport that you've ever been asked to do play-by-play for? There's got to be something, even though it's not crazy weird, but something besides one of the normal sports. I did roller derby. Hey. hey I did roller one. derby in St. Louis, Saskatchewan, actually, a few years back. Uh, Sastel Max was doing uh, some stuff, and they called me up one day and said, would you like to go to St. Louis, Saskatchewan, and call out of the arena women's roller derby and we'll give you so much for doing it and we'll give you your mileage and a couple of other things and yeah sure so took my wife with me and she had a great old time watching it and uh they provided me with a person who had played the, the sport uh, she was very good and she had offered the analysis which was great because i couldn't have told you, you know, <laughs> what was going on nothing i i, I just I'm just telling you basically what I saw. Here's what's <laughs> happening. Take it away. Tell me why this happened. What's going on? Essentially, it, it was fun. It was. It was a great. It was a great evening right. going up to St. Louis for roller derby. <laughs> well, Les, uh, we'll let you get back. I know that you've got the Blades podcast uh, you're working on today as well uh, yes. with a guest that we tried to get earlier this week, but he was too busy. Peter Labardius. So uh, hopefully we can catch up with him, and uh, hopefully uh, the Blades podcast can continue to provide. Uh, Blades fans with a little bit of entertainment and, and lighthearted humor in this uh, time as we all sit and wait. And hopefully, less we get to see you again before Christmas uh, and maybe wearing a mask, whatever the case may be. But yeah. like you said, uh, to get back into the rink, however we have to do it, is is going to be a, a really nice day. So thanks for doing this, and uh, we hope we we'll see you soon. Whatever it takes, guys. Thanks for uh, having me on. I appreciate it. Chris, good to see you. Brandon, we will see you sooner than later, I hope. Okay? Take care, guys. Appreciate right. it. Be sure to follow Q Country and the Wheat Kings on Twitter and Facebook for all your Brandon Wheat Kings news. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Harvest.